0: Thank you and welcome to our very first episode of my personal library. I am Prajna Talikoti, a filmmaker by profession, and I am going to read and share my personal thoughts on some of my favorite stories from various books, authors, genres, etc. And a small disclaimer, rights of these stories are with their respective publishers or authors. This podcast is produced by Pixels Unlimited and narrated by me, that is Pradna Talikoti. Today, I am going to read a short story written by O. Henry girl. William Sidney Porter, better known by his pen name O. Henry, was an American short story writer. Henry was a master of surprise endings who wrote about the life of ordinary people in New York City. A twist of plot which turns on an ironic or coincidental circumstance is typical of O. Henry's stories. Some of O. Henry's works include The Gift of Maggie, The Duplicity of Hargraves and Ransom of Red Chief. His legacy includes the O. Henry Award, an annual prize awarded to outstanding short stories. Girl. In gilt letters on the ground glass of the door of room number 962 were the words Robinson Hartley Brokers. The clerks had gone, it was past five. And with the solid ramp of drop of price percherons, scrub women were invading cloud-capped 20-storey office building. A puff of red-hot air flavoured with lemon peelings, soft cold smoke and train oil came in through half-open windows. Robbins, 50-something of an overweight bow, and addicted to first nights and hotel palm rooms, pretended to be envious of his partner's commuter's joys. Going to be something doing in the humidity line tonight, he said. You out-of-town chaps will be the people with your catids and moonlights and long drinks. And things out on the front porch. Hartley, 29, serious, thin, good-looking, nervous, sighed and frowned a little. Yes, said he. We always have cool nights in Floralhurst, especially in the winter. Man with an air of mystery came in the door and went up to Hartley. I've found where she lives, he announced in a portentous half-whisper. That makes the detective at work a marked being to his fellow men. Hartley scowled him into a state of dramatic silence and quietude. But by that time, Robins had got his cane and set his type in to his liking, and with the debonair nod, went out to his metropolitan amusements. ''Here is the address,'' said the detective in a natural tone, being deprived of an audience to foil. Hartley took the leaf torn out of the sleuth's dingy memorandum book. On it were penciled the words, ''Vivian Arlington, Number 341 Street, Care of Mrs. McComas. Moved there a week ago,'' said the detective. Now, if you want any shadowing done, Mr. Hartley, I can do you as a fine job in that line as anybody in the city. It will be only $7 a day and expenses. Can send in a daily typewritten note covering, you needn't go on, interrupted the broker. It isn't a case of that kind. I merely wanted the address. How much shall I pay you? One day's work, said the sleuth. A tenor will cover it. Hartley paid the man and dismissed him. Then he left the office and boarded a Broadway car. At the first large cross-town artery of travel, he took an eastbound car that deposited him in a decaying avenue, whose ancient structures once sheltered the pride and glory of the town. Walking a few squares, he came to the building that he sought. It was a new flat house bearing carved upon its cheap stone portal its sonorous name, the Vallabrasa. Fire escapes zigzag down its front. These laden with household goods, drying clothes and squalling children evicted by the midsummer heat. Here and there, a pale rubber plant peeped from its miscellaneous mass, as if wondering to what kingdom it belonged, vegetable, animal, or artificial. Hartley pressed the McCommers button. The door latch clicked spasmodically, now hospitably, now doubtfully, as in anxiety whether it might be admitting friends or dunks. Hartley entered and began to climb the stairs after the manner of those who seek their friends in city flat houses, which is the manner of a boy who climbs an apple tree, stopping when he comes upon what he wants. On the fourth floor, he saw Vivian standing in an open door. She invited him inside with a nod and bright, genuine smile. She placed a chair for him near a window and poised herself gracefully upon the edge of one of those jekyll and hide pieces of furniture that are masked and mysteriously hooded, unguessable bulks by day and inquisitorial racks of torture by night. Hartley cast a quick, critical, appreciative glance at her before speaking and told himself that his taste in choosing had been flawless. Vivian was about 21. She was of the purest Saxon type. Her hair was ruddy golden, each filament of the neatly gathered mass shining with its own luster and delicate graduation of colour. In perfect harmony were her ivory clear complexion and deep sea blue eyes that looked upon the world with ingenious calmness of mermaid or the pixie of an undiscovered mountain stream. Her frame was strong and yet possessed the grace of absolute naturalness and yet with all her northern clearness and frankness of line and colouring There seemed to be something of the tropics in her, something of a languor in droop of her pose, of love of ease in her ingenious complacency of satisfaction and comfort in mere act of breathing. Something that seemed to claim for her a right as a perfect work of nature to exist and be admired equally with a rare flower or some beautiful milk-white dove among its sober-hued companions. She was dressed in white waist and dark skirt, that discreet masquerade of goose-girl and duchess. Vivian," said Hartley, looking at her pleadingly. ''You did not answer my last letter. It was only by nearly a week's search that I found where you had moved to. Why have you kept me in suspense when you knew how anxiously I was waiting to see you and hear from you?'' The girl looked out of the window dreamily. ''Mr. Hartley?'' she said hesitatingly. ''I hardly know what to say to you. I realise all the advantages of your offer.'' and sometimes I feel sure that I could be contented with you. But again, I am doubtful. I was born a city girl, and I am afraid to bind myself to a quiet suburban life. My dear girl, said Hartley ardently, have I not told you that you shall have everything that your heart can desire that is in my power to give you? You shall come to the city for theatres, for shopping, and to visit your friends as often as you care to. You can trust me, can you not? To the fullest, she said, turning her frank eyes upon him with a smile. I know you are the kindest of men, and the girl you get will be the lucky one. I learned all about you when I was at the Montgomery's. Ah, said Hartley, with a tender and reminiscent light in his eyes. I remember well the evening I first saw you at Montgomery's. Mrs. Montgomery was sounding your praises to me all the evening, and she hardly did you justice. I shall never forget that supper. Come, Vivian, promise me. I want you, you will never regret coming with me. No one else will ever give you a pleasanter home. The girl sighed and looked down at her folded hands. A sudden jealous suspicion seized Hartley. Tell me, Vivian, he asked, regarding her keenly. Is there another, is there someone else? A rosy flush crept slowly over her fair cheeks and neck. You shouldn't ask that, Mr. Hartley, she said in some confusion. But I'll tell you. There is one other, but but he has no right. I have promised him nothing. His name? Demanded Hartley sternly. Townsend. Rafford Townsend! Exclaimed Hartley with a grim tightening of his jaw. How did that man come to know you? After all I've done for him. His auto has just stopped below, said Vivian, bending over the window sill. He's coming for his answer. Oh, I don't know what to do. The bell in that flat kitchen. Word. Vivienne hurried to press the latch button. Stay here, said Hartley. I'll meet him in the hall. Townsend. Townsend, looking like a Spanish grandee in his light tweeds, Panama hat and curling back moustache, came up with stairs three at a time. He stopped at sight of Hartley and looked foolish. Go back, said Hartley, firmly pointing downstairs with his forefingers. Hello, said Townsend, feigning surprise. What's up? What are you doing here, old man? Go back, repeated Hartley inflexibly. The law of the jungle. Do you want the pack to tear in pieces? The kill is mine. I came here to see plumber about the bathroom connection, said Townsend bravely. All right, said Hartley. You shall have that lying plaster to stick upon your treacherous soul. But go back. Townsend went downstairs, leaving a bitter word to be wafted up the draught of the staircase. Hartley went back to his wooing. Vivian, said he masterfully, I've got to have you. I'll take no more refusals or daily darling. When you want me, she asked. Now, as soon as you can get ready. She stood calmly before him and locked him in the eye. Do you think for one moment, she said, that I would enter your home while Eloise is still there? Hartley cringed, as if from an unexpected blow. He folded his arms and paced the carpet, oh, once or twice. She shall go, he declared grimly. Drops stood upon his brow. Why would I let that woman make my life miserable? Never have I seen one day of freedom from trouble since I have known her. You are right, Vivian. Alois must be sent away before I can take you home. But she shall go. I have decided. I will turn her from my doors. When will you do this? asked the girl. Hartley clenched his teeth and bent his brows together. Tonight, he said resolutely. I will send her away tonight. Then, said Vivian, my answer is yes. Come for me when you will. Come for me when you will. She looked him into his eyes with a sweet, sincere light in her own. Hartley could scarcely believe that her surrender was true. It was so swift and complete. Promise me, he said feelingly. On your word and honour. On my word and honour, repeated Vivian softly. At the door, he turned and gazed at her happily, but yet as one who scarcely trusts the foundations of his joy. Tomorrow, he said with a forefinger of reminder uplifted. Tomorrow, she repeated with a smile of truth and candor. In an hour and forty minutes, Hartley stepped off the train at Floral House. A brisk walk of ten minutes brought him to the gate of handsome two-story cottage, set up on a wide and well-tented lawn. Halfway to the house, he was met by a woman with jet-black braided hair and flowing white summer gown, who half strangled him without apparent cause. When they stepped into hall, she said, Mama's here. The auto is coming for her in half an hour. She came to dinner, but there is no dinner. I have something to tell you, said Hartley. I thought to break it to you gently, but since your mother is here, we may as well out with it. He stood and whispered something at her ear. His wife screamed. Her mother came running into the hall. The dark haired woman screamed again. The joyful scream of a well-beloved and petted woman. Oh, mama, she cried ecstatically. What do you think? Vivian is coming back to cook for us. She's one that stayed with Montgomery's a whole year. And now, Billy dear, she concluded, you must go right down into the kitchen and discharge Eloise. She has been drunk again the whole day long. Wow, I did not see that coming. I mean this story has been mysterious and suspense from start, but ending takes the cake. This story is not just beautifully written, but also reminds me the importance of people like Vivian in our lives. The ones who help us in our chores are so important and yet so undervalued. Hope you like the story written by famous writer O. Henry Go. I am Prajna Talikoti, you are listening to My Personal Library, the podcast. You can subscribe, rate and review on Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get the podcast. To know more, please follow Pixels Unlimited on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for your time. Keep on listening.